All right, listen, let's get started. Did everybody get a sheet? All right, we're going to talk about the end times a little bit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would anoint this time and that you would speak through me. I pray help everybody that's listening to this by the Internet in different parts of this nation over the world. Lord, I pray for good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, which you would anoint people's eyes to see and their ears to hear and their hearts to understand, that it won't just be a natural perception, but, Lord, it will be we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. And we can understand the things of God. <clears throat> Lord, that you would just get everybody captivated by the Holy Spirit's anointing. That they'll give you their best ear and their full attention. And as you speak through me, let it be as living seeds that go forth of truth. That go into people's hearts and minds. And be watered by the Holy Spirit. And bring forth a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, I pray that you would just flood our, our minds and the eyes of our hearts with light. With the light of the truth. And take away all that darkness and deception and that religion, things that are not of God. And help us to see, Lord, what you're showing us and what you want us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. And I just feel to pray in Revelation, Lord, that you would anoint our eyes with your eye salve and give us your white garments and your gold refined in the fire. Do a deep work in us, Lord. Lord, that you would strengthen people by the power of the Holy Spirit in their inner man. And, Lord, release what Paul prayed, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the people's lives today. And, Holy Spirit, have your way and do this through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Who didn't bring a Bible with them? Wow. <laughs> That's okay. Just look on with someone else. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 2. This is talking about the man of lawlessness. It's talking about the Antichrist. And I want to share a few things real quick that are going to really speak to your heart. And listen, this is something I felt as I was preparing it that you guys could use as a Bible study maybe over this next week. Because I don't want you just to read like Matthew 10:39 that verse by itself. But really, maybe in your personal Bible study, read the whole chapter, the whole section of what it's talking about and some of these other scriptures, and you can make this kind of a Bible study. Just an outline, okay? The Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to start there. And obviously, Paul was writing to one of his churches. He planted this church in the Asia Minor area, and um, this is what he wrote to them, because obviously there were some people saying that... that uh, you know, the day of the Lord had already come, that Jesus had already returned, and that Paul had said that. But he didn't say that, and here he is confronting that. He said, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Is everybody following me along pretty good? So what he said was Christ is not going to return until the, the rebellion occurs. Okay? Some translations say until, until the falling away occurs. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk about today. A rebellion here or falling away in the Greek 
is the word apostasia. It's real important that you get this. If you don't get anything else, I really want you to get this and take this with you. The word in the Greek is apostasia, and what that means is where we get the word an apostate. Somebody that's an apostate is somebody that used to walk with the Lord, and now they've turned their back on Jesus and have walked away from the faith. And how many knows in other parts of Paul's writings to Timothy, he said, mark this, that in the end times, the Spirit clearly says that some, well, many will abandon the faith, will walk away from the faith. And so that's what he's seeing here prophetically. He's writing, but the Apostle Paul is seeing into the end times prophetically, and he sees that there's going to be a great falling away, a great rebellion. And before Jesus comes, he said the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The Antichrist will be revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. There's many different, you know, people that see this. But a lot of theologians believe that he's going to literally set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem and that there's going to be an actual Jewish temple and he's going to set himself up there as God. But another way of seeing this, too, is that, you know, the Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you have to wonder sometimes how many people, because if you read this in context, it's talking about people walking away from the faith, right? So how many people are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but they're going to allow like that Antichrist spirit or whatever to get enthroned into their hearts? You, You following what I'm saying? And then walk away from the faith. You have to wonder if there's not maybe a deeper meaning to this. All right. So we know that there's going to be a great falling away, a great walking away from the faith that's going to happen. And this is this is already happening in our generation now. Okay, this isn't something future anymore. You're going to see it with your eyes and you probably already have. You're going to see people walking away from the faith. And the Apostle Paul said this. He said, many will abandon the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So we've got to be careful. Okay. Because he's talking about people that walk with the Lord at one time that are now have abandoned the faith, that have walked away from Jesus. What can make somebody do that? The deceitfulness of sin, for one. Seducing spirits doctrines of demons, things that people are taught. One of the greatest doctrines of demons in these end times is a doctrine that leads people to believe that they can live in sin and play games with God and still go to heaven. That that one doctrine right there will sweep, I believe, untold tens, hundreds of thousands will sweep them into hell because they're going to believe with all their heart that they're fine. You know, I said the little prayer. You know, I went down there, I went to church, you know, I did what they told me to do. And, you know, and then they're going to be in hell one day. And they're going to be so angry because they were deceived in their lifetime. Because nobody ever told them the truth. How angry would you be with the church or the preacher or whoever it is that failed to tell you the truth? And you thought that you were saved. Only to wake up one day in hell. In Matthew chapter 7 talks about it. Jesus said, on that day, he's talking about when he returns, on that day many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. You know, we, we healed the sick. We drove out demons in your name. Now, let me tell you, you can't drive out demons unless you're a Christian because they won't listen to you. So he's talking to Christians. Hear me. He's talking to Christians. Jesus is going to say, they're, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord. First, they're calling him Lord. We, we prophesy. We drove out demons in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. And he's going to say, I never knew you, number one. And number two, um, you practice lawlessness. It's exactly what this, they're, they're in rebellion to God's word. They're not living what the Bible says, you know. And see, we're living in a time where there's great deception because many people believe, and this nation is probably one of the worst about it, but it, the, the incredible level of hypocrisy that people in political positions will call themselves Christians just to get elected into office. Hopefully nobody's that stupid to believe these people are actually saved. Because if they were saved, then they would be living what the Bible says, right? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. We need to quit all this. You know, love, listen, love is not tolerance. That's what a lot of people think. The, the scriptural definition, when you look in the Bible, the scriptural definition of love is that you lay down your life for somebody else. Okay, Right? Americans have made it sound like it's tolerance. Like you just, you know, you, you, you're nice to people. It's like being politically correct, seeker-friendly. You don't want to offend anybody. You just want, and they think that's love. That's not love. It's not love to know somebody is going to burn in hell for eternity and say, well, I don't want to offend them by telling them that. That's not love. That's not love. That's a selfish, only care about yourself love. True love would be I lay down my life to go witness that person. And they may hate my guts after this. It may make my employment a little bit more difficult because now I've got a coworker that's not going to like me. But you love Jesus and you love them enough to actually do it. That's true love. But we're living in a time when Dallas right now has one of the biggest, now I think it is actually the biggest, homosexual churches in this nation. Where people go there and there's a gay preacher and they all think they're saved and they're all gay. You got two guys holding hands on a pew, two ladies holding hands on a pew, and everybody feels like they're saved. And they think I, some of them actually believe Jesus was gay. Does everybody just love one another? Listen, man, that's. <clears throat> listen, the thing is. <laughs> listen, the thing is, is that it's a time of great deception, okay? And there's going to be a great falling away. And these people, they're, they're offended because if somebody comes up to them and tells them the truth in love, instead of being appreciative, like I love as, as Jill witnessed that lady, she was so thankful that you witnessed to her. You know? But see, these people, they love their sin a lot more than God. And if you go up to them and say, listen, the Bible says, you don't even have to say anything more than that. The Bible says, I can quote it, let me pull, you know, and you show them, it says right here, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, no homosexual offender will inherit the kingdom of God. And they get so angry, well, you're, you're a bunch of haters, you know, you, you just, you're divisive. See, listen to me, the Antichrist, and everybody remember I said this, the one world religion, we're living in a time where the nations are beginning to come together, just like the book of Daniel Revelation predicted, okay? The nations are beginning to come together. There's going to be an economic problem. There already is one, but it's going to be so bad that there's eventually going to be a one-world currency where the dollar's gone, okay? 
probably, I'm just guessing, okay, this is just a guess, probably it's going to be kind of like the euro, okay, but it's going to be an international currency, and there's going to be some kind of a mark people have to take on their right hand or forehead to be able to buy and sell. The Bible says that. Some kind of a mark. I don't, you know, know what it is. But somehow in that mark, um, they're going to be able to buy and sell. And there's going to have to come a time where the government, the one world government, can keep an eye on everybody to be able to pull this off. Now, how would somebody in Europe know whether or not I, I got a mark to go buy groceries? So there's going to have to be a united front there. All right, I don't want to dwell on that too much, but we're moving quickly into these times that the Bible says are happening, and it is definitely upon us, okay? So I'm going to stay on this. I don't want to sidetrack too much, but there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. Now, I'm preaching on this because I'm concerned about those that are going to hear this. And that actually, there's people that hear this through our website all across this nation and in other parts of the world, and people have contacted me. Let me know that. And I'm going to tell you, you need to be careful about who you're listening to and what you're following. Because this time frame seems to be that this it's kind of like, and I don't mean to pick on the seeker-friendly movement too much, but it's just that anytime you're trying to live to please men, you're wrong. You're off. Jesus never, ever did that. You live to please God. You speak what God tells you to speak. You obey his word. You live to please God, not man. And if you base your life and your ministry on pleasing man, you're going to move into a great deception. I want to be a part of a church, and I always said this before I was a pastor, where somebody would tell me the truth. I remember during the Brownsville Revival, Richard Crisco used to tell all these new converts, hundreds of people down the altar just got saved. He'd tell me, say, now you go and you get involved in a church when you get back home or when the preacher preaches, you squirm in your pew convicted in your sin. Don't you go somewhere where somebody just tells you what you want to hear. Amen. So we're going to have to be careful because Jesus in Matthew 24, the disciples came to him and said, tell us about your second coming. What, what you know, help us understand And Jesus said this. He said, watch out that nobody deceives you. That's the first thing he said. The end times are going to be full of deception. And it already is. And you're going to have to know the Bible for yourself. You can't depend on other people. You're going to have to know the Bible for yourself. You're going to have to study it. And you're going to have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to know him and walk with him. Because I know the Holy Spirit. When I'm, when I'm around another spirit, and I have been many times, you can go out in the world and you can go into a place or whatever. You can feel, you know, something evil. You can be flipping through the channels and feel, you know. Look, if you, if you know the Holy Spirit and you walk with him, you're going to know good from evil. You're going to feel it. Some people don't have any discernment. They go to great revivals, great moves of God, and they'll sit back there going, bless God, this isn't God. It's like, man, you don't have a clue. If you can't even feel God in a place like this, what's wrong with you? So, that's why God's pouring out His Spirit like He is in these end times, because we need it. How many of you guys want to go deeper in the Lord? How many of you want to have a stronger relationship with the Holy Spirit than you've ever had? You want to know the Word. You want to grow in the things of God. All right. Be careful that no one deceives you. There are people right now 
that that are falling away, and you're going to see it, and I don't want you to get your faith shaken. Because there may be friends that you've had in church, people you love, people you know are Christians, and, and you've been friends with them, and all of a sudden they're they're away from God. They're out of church. Maybe they're in sin, or they're in some weird deception of some kind where they're going to church, but they're still living in sin, you know. And it grieves your spirit. But don't let that shake your faith, because Christianity is a personal thing. Everybody around you could go to hell and you still go to heaven. You're going to make sure that it's a personal thing. You know, you're going to see ministries, unfortunately, in these end times, some of them crumble. And you'll probably see ministers fall. But you can't let that shake your faith. Just because somebody else falls into sin, that shouldn't have any effect on me and my relationship with Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, you know, people get upset about that. But, you know, God is not as concerned about man's reputation a lot of times as man is you know like we're all concerned about well we want people to you know to think good of us and all that you know what some some of these ministries and ministers jesus is actually doing this out of love he's not doing it because he's mad at them he's doing it because if they keep going like they're going they're going to be in hell and they're liable to take people with them and because he loves them so much he'll allow judgment and allow them to fall and you know what will happen they'll get on their face and get things right with the Lord. You see what I'm saying? So don't let that shake your faith. God's just cleaning house. Amen? All right, so let me let me move through this. Number one, I wrote on here, unless we totally sell out everything, we will fall away eventually. Unless you totally sell out everything. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39, Let's go ahead and flip there. And this is another thing I encourage you to do. Is, you know, make sure when people are telling you something and preaching, I'm not talking about in a bad spirit, okay, where you're a critical type person. No, I don't, you know, we don't got time for that. But do like the Bereans did where you, you look for yourself just to make sure that's actually what it says. Did everybody get that? All right. Matthew 10:39. Let's start with 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus said this. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Did everybody get that? Because if you if you do not completely Lay down your whole life, every area of your life, lay down and die to yourself and give everything to Jesus. You're eventually going to fall away. It's, just, it's going to happen. And that's where most of Christians are. And obviously being in America, I preach a lot to America and have a heart for America. That's where a lot of Christians are. They, they, they're like draw a line in the sand and say, well, Jesus, I'll do this, this, and this, but I'm not doing this. I'll give up this, this, and this, but I'm not going to give up this. And they draw a line in the sand. We can't do that. The Bible says right here, if you find your own life, in other words, if you keep your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life for Jesus, you'll lay down your life and give him your whole life, then you'll find true life in him. Okay? Every idol's got to go. Every, every pet sin, every little thing, everything's got to be laid down. Because eventually, eventually, It'll cause people to fall away. Amen? 
How many want to know the truth? This is what it says. Now listen, I'm not, I, I love everybody here, but I'm not interested in, in a lot of the things maybe other some, some other preachers are interested in. I'm not interested in, you know, your tempor- temporary life here on earth being just everything you want it to be. I want you to be blessed and happy, but you know what I mean. I'm interested in people making it to heaven and being strong in the Lord and doing something for God. That's my focus. It's eternity. There's a difference. Some preachers right now are just preaching for the temporary, how you can be happy and blessed and, and, and you know, in life. And it's like, what good is that going to do if they go to hell? All right, number two, fear of hell alone will not keep you. It won't keep you. Proverb, and this is where some people are going to fall away. I'm giving you points of people that are going to fall away. Number one is, if they don't sell out everything, they'll eventually fall away. Number two, fear of hell alone will not keep you. And I can, I'll quote these, okay? But Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everybody say beginning. The beginning of wisdom. Fear of hell and fear of the Lord a lot of times will get people in the kingdom. Because a lot of evangelists preach the truth. They preach hell, fire, brimstone. They preach the truth. And as a result, people hear it and they're like, my Lord, I'm going to hell. And so they come down and, and give their life to Jesus. That's the beginning of wisdom. And then Jesus taught us in the, in the New Testament, he said that you are to fear God. It's in Luke 12, 5. Let me read it. Everybody flip there. Luke 12, verse 5. Let's start with verse 4. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus taught us to fear God, and that's a good thing. We should fear God. But the fear of God and the fear of going to hell is not going to keep people. Now let me show you a kind of a revelation in 1 John chapter 4, if you want to flip there. 1 John chapter 4. See, this is where we need the Holy Spirit. Because people that don't have the Holy Spirit teaching them the Bible will not understand what I'm about to tell you. Does everybody follow me? Because they'll read these two scriptures and say stupid things like this. Well, the Bible contradicts itself. No. It's just because they don't have the Holy Spirit teaching them the Bible, and they would understand it. God, how many, everybody hear this. God didn't have a problem writing the Bible. Man has a problem reading the Bible and getting it. Okay. So, the, so Jesus taught us the, that we are to fear God, but then 1 John 4.16 says, And so we know and rely on the love of God that he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is, listen, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's, here's what this means. When we first come to Jesus, and everybody that's winning souls hear what I'm saying, When we first come to Jesus, people do need to have a fear of God. 
Okay, they do need to have a fear of hell. That is healthy. The reason why a lot of people supposedly get saved but then continue in sin is because they have no fear of God. They have no fear of hell. Okay, so let's not produce false converts. Let's get people really saved. They do need to fear God, but here's how it happens. As they, they fear God, they fear going to hell, and so the result of that is is that they start living righteously. They get the sin out, and they start living holy. And if, that, if that's not in their life, they're not saved. Okay, so they fear God, and they fear going to hell, so they start cleaning up their life and living holy. But now they start having a relationship with God. They start going to church and they start worshiping the Lord and they start having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as they start having a relationship with God, they begin to fall in love with him. And as their love for the Lord, as they grow more and more in love with him, their love is being perfected. And pretty soon, they're not sinning because they love the Lord too much to do it. And so as their love is perfected, then it drives out fear. Because they no longer are doing it out of fear. They're doing it out of their love for God. That's a healthy progression, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Fear of hell alone is not going to keep you. You've got to get to the place where you love the Lord. Because people that love the Lord will lay down their life for the Lord. Somebody will put a gun to their head. It's like I love him too much to deny the faith. When you fall in love with the Lord, that's going to be what keeps you. Okay? Number three, a life in the word and prayer will produce righteous strongholds that will sustain you in these end times. You know, I was just reading, I don't remember where it was now, but I was reading in the Old Testament where King David was coming up against an enemy. Well, an enemy had come against him. And so what he did was he, he took his men and he fled to a stronghold in Israel. And the stronghold was basically just a fortified city. It had walls. And, it, you know, it was, a, it was a real strength to have fortified cities because the enemy would come in and here you are, you got these walls of protection. And I'm going to tell you that as Christians, we have got to have righteous strongholds in us of truth. Because somebody can come to me with spouting off some kind of weird doctrine. And I know the Bible for myself. And so there's this stronghold of truth that whenever they're trying that nonsense, I'm like, look, I already know what it says. You know, you're not going to suck me into your world. And we're going to have to have righteous strongholds in us, in our lives of scriptural knowledge, sound doctrine. And a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to tell you, there's counterfeits. You know, as much as I love revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and what we saw today, I love that. I want it in every church service and I want it in my personal life. But there are some counterfeits. There, there are some manifestations that are demonic and there's some weird stuff. But if you, if you are even worth your salt a little bit in Christianity, you have any type of relationship with God, you should be able to discern that. People live in fear and they call everything the devil because they're afraid. Fear is not discernment. Amen? The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is not discernment. Being critical of everything is not discernment. Discernment is the Holy Spirit in you bearing witness in your spirit. You know, you feel this is God or this is not. When I went to Pastor Tommy's church, I've never said under um, Basil Howard Brown's ministry. 
course, I have his brother Rodney, and I always enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. And um, when I went to see him, I was there five to ten minutes, and I could tell in my spirit, this is God. It doesn't take a lot of discernment, amen. But, you know, there's people out there that, that, you know, don't think it is. That's their problem. Second Thessalonians, listen to what it says, 2.13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Everybody get that? We are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, number one, and belief in the truth. Let me tell you something else. American Christianity, where a lot of people have missed it is, is they took the Old Testament and ripped it out of their Bible and threw it away. And they just focus in on the New. The New Testament is built on the Old and you got to understand, Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> if you don't know that, I feel sorry for you, okay? Um, he's not a white guy, okay? He's Jewish. And, um, hello, and he's not black either. Not trying to offend anybody. It's just the way it is. He's Jewish. Okay. And so, the Old Testament is, is something that if you understand the Old Testament and you look at the New then you can start getting some good doctrine, okay? Because the, the Old Testament was something that was Jewish, but Jesus came to fulfill it, okay? Now, here's the result of some of what I'm talking about. Just like using the word saved, you say, well, they're saved. They'll be saved when they get to heaven. What you're saying is, is they're born again. <laughs> okay, did everybody get that? People go around throwing the word around saved. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but I feel I'm coming up against. Look, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It says they're born again. And Jesus taught us he that endures till the end will be saved. Okay? And here's another scripture to point out. What it, is. it says, from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and belief in the truth. In other words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he that endures to the end will be saved. Now, why am I making a big deal about that? Because we tell people you're saved, and that gives them the, the idea that it's just a done deal. You know, it's over now. You know, I can do whatever I want to do. No, you've been born again, but now you've got to obey the Bible. You've got to let the Holy Spirit sanctify you, and you've got to learn the truth and do what's right. Amen? Is this making sense? Okay. All right, number four, you cannot depend on others to keep you. John chapter 10. Did everybody understand that about being saved? Do you remember the scripture It says, to those of us who are being saved, being, we are being saved, that the preaching of the cross is the power of God into salvation. Remember that? Being saved, it's a process. It's interesting because the word saved in the Greek is sozo, and it means to be healed, delivered, 
protected, prospered, made to do well. Salvation is something that is a work God is doing in your life from the time you get born again till the time you enter into his kingdom. It's something that's an ongoing process. All right. Everybody nod if that makes sense. Okay. Most people. All right. You cannot depend on others to keep you. John chapter 10. It says, I tell you the truth. Jesus speaking, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in through another way is a thief and a robber. And the man who enters in by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Everybody say, listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now everybody say, know his voice. That's the key. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. See, we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand what Jesus is telling us, okay? So, here's the thing. We have got to know Jesus' voice. How many of you know that the Lord speaks to you really? I'm not talking about, well, he speaks to me through his word. And sometimes, you know, there's a prophet or somebody who give me a word. Nothing wrong with these things. I'm talking about that you're in prayer and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And you hear his voice and you do what you're told. How many have that? Okay, some. God does speak through his word, obviously, and he does speak through people. But I'm going to tell you, we have got to get this right here. I just read. Where you hear the Lord's voice for yourself and you follow him. Because if you don't have that, some goof can come along and say, hey, well, you know what? God told me that you're supposed to, you know, sell everything and move to Vietnam, be a missionary. Or they'll say, I heard from God, and you need to come follow me over here, and they, they're in some kind of cult or some kind of weird thing. There should be a big warning signal going off inside you, okay? It's like, wrong, wrong, you know? It's, listen, we've got to know the Lord's voice for ourselves, where the Lord can speak to us. Today, the Lord told me some stuff. The key to that is, is a relationship with the Holy Spirit, which I feel for some reason the Lord telling me that that's a big deal right now to people here. That some people don't have that. Okay, that, that is dangerous because we have got to know the Holy Spirit's voice. And he'll tell you stuff. He, remember what I read? Jesus said he'll show you things to come. He'll show you what you need to know about your future. And he'll tell you decisions to make and what not to make. There's many times my natural mind thought that something was a good idea. Then that's what it looked like. It, but then the Holy Spirit's like, no, do it this way. And then when I got on the other side, I looked back and said, man, I'm thankful the Lord told me, you know. All right, so don't depend on others. Listen, if you're trying to have a relationship with the Lord through somebody else, that's not a real relationship with the Lord. You can't depend on your spouse to have a relationship for you. You can't depend on your pastor, youth pastor, whatever, have a relationship for you. You've got to have a relationship with the Lord for yourself. Amen? All right, number five. Spiritually, do not ever stay where you are at. You know how many people? You know, listen, the Holy Spirit is described as a river. 
the main thing about a river is, is that because the water is always moving, it stays pure. That's the main thing I always get about a river when I read about the Holy Spirit and all that. The Holy Spirit is always moving. That means that when we come in here to church, you know, as long as we let the Holy Spirit have his way, every service is going to be a little bit different. I mean, you know, we may pray, obviously, and, and teach the word, etc., but every service is going to have a uniqueness about it. Because the Holy Spirit is always moving, and, and we've got to move with the Lord. Now, a lot of Christians will they'll go from one level to the next spiritually, then from one level to the next, but eventually they'll kind of plateau and just kind of stay in one place. Now, if you would ever take a river and you were to build a dam and shut off the water on both ends and let the water sit, it's not moving anymore. It's going to get that green pond scum. It's going to start stinking. Things that used to live in it are going to die. And new nasty varmints are going to make their home there, right? All right. Okay. That's what's happened to a lot of Christians. Seriously. They, they, for a little while, they were growing and growing, and then they plateaued off. The cloud moved on without them. And now, it's like their life is starting to spiritually stink, and some things are starting to gather that's not good. We've got to move with God. We've got to have a flow in our lives. I remember meeting with Pastor Steve Hill one time in private, and... Uh, he was asking me this, you know. I mean, it caught me off guard. But I was sitting there talking to him, and we're like in a chair, and he said, uh, so what's the Lord been speaking to you lately? And I was like, well, <laughs> thanks for putting me on the spot, you know. But I was like, well, you know, this is what he's been saying. He goes, okay. And he's, and this is what he told me. He said, I just wanted to know that he that you were listening to him and that you were, you know, growing, that you were hearing God. You know, if you ask most Christians, what's God been speaking to you lately? They're like, I don't know. What's... <laughs> Listen, let that convict you a little bit because we, we need to keep growing spiritually. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard to grow spiritually. You hear what I'm saying? I, it is very hard to grow spiritually when you're around spiritual death, when you're in a dead church. It's very hard. And I feel sorry for people that come, they get saved and come off the streets and they have to sit through some horror. And listen, I'm on fire for God. I don't even want to be there. You know, I mean, how can somebody that's just a spiritual baby and it's like you're sitting there listening to some woman scream off something special and then there's two songs and you're like, okay, and then there's a boring sermon that you got nothing out of and then people get pray and nothing happens. and You're like, okay, let's go eat, you know. Listen, that's why people are dead. Listen, that has a lot to do with it. When 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 Pastor Steve and Heartland started, I drove like two hours one way, and I was involved. I was in some leadership roles. I was helping serve, and I wanted to be in an on-fire church. And I loved it. Because, you know, I'd seen God move so powerfully in these revivals. I mean, in an awesome way that would shock a lot of you that haven't been. And I wanted, I was like, why can't that be normal Christianity? Why can't that be just normal in church? And it is. It is. And um, as I started going there, it was it was starting, you know, I worked alongside Jeff Baldwin, and it was something that 
all these, uh, we were working a lot mainly in the college and then street evangelism, but in the college ministry. And it, it was so cool seeing these people come in from secular colleges and they'd be standing there, you know, and they had never, ever been around anything like this. And all of a sudden you see them, you know, flap around on the ground and, and bawling their eyes out or, or something. It was just awesome because, you know what, let me tell you why the power of God's important. The Apostle Paul said, I don't come to you with eloquent speech, but in the power of God, in the demonstration of the power, so that your faith rests on God and not in man. Now, somebody can go up to an intellectual person that went to seminary. They've never had an encounter with God. And they can argue with them, God's not real. Prove to me God's real. All this stuff, they can argue. And the person's like, well, you know, and, and they're going like this with the word, you know, it says in here. And the person's like, well, listen, you know, I just don't believe it, right? Let me tell you what's going to keep you. It's that you've had an encounter with God. It's not just a head knowledge. You see, I mean, using my daughter for an example, how's somebody ever going to tell her God's not real when she's seen people healed? She's seen demons come out of people, seen, and she's been under the power of God. She's been hit by the power. I mean, you know, what, what hit, you know, it's like, I know God's real. He threw me on the floor like a hundred times when I was growing up. I cried in his presence. I had an encounter with him. He spoke to me. I heard his voice. I've seen people healed, you know, that were sick. I sat there and watched. You see know what I'm saying? Your faith rests in God, not in man. You can have all the head knowledge you want, but it's not going to fly sometimes because people are like, well, I don't. Look, you know, if they, some, some people it takes this, if they see the power of God, they're like, okay, obviously that's real. Okay. Second Corinthians 3, 7 through 8. Actually, that's a typo. It should be 17. To, well, no, it's 7 through 18, but I'm just going to read 17 and 18 or so. Actually, start with um, start with verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while its radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses, talking about the Old Testament, is read, a veil covers their hearts, talking about the Jewish people. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. Here it is. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Ever-increasing glory. The King James says from glory to glory. So we're going from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. And see, I pray fervently for the people that are involved in our ministry to grow spiritually. And I've had people tell me, well, since I started coming to this church, I started growing spiritually just more than you know I ever have. It's just real fast. It's because of... You're around the power of God. I believe that. I believe it's because of the anointing. I don't believe it's just because of sermons by themselves. But the Bible says in 1 John, the anointing will teach you. It says that. It says the anointing will teach you and lead you in all truth. When you get the anointing, all of a sudden you're growing spiritually because the Lord is teaching you. Okay? All right, let's start moving this to a close. We're moving from glory to glory. 
And um, many of you know the story when Jesus died on the cross. Remember, his it turned black. It was dark. There was an earthquake. How many of you read where all these dead people came back to life? Wouldn't that freak you out? Did you remember reading that? Can you imagine somebody knocking on your door and you open it's like dead Uncle Charlie. It's been dead for, you know, 10 years. You're like, Uncle Charlie. He's like, hey, listen, man, that guy that died, his name is Jesus. You better get to know him. But see, when Jesus died and, and that earthquake happened, okay, <laughs> the veil in the temple, the veil in the temple ripped from top to bottom. Everybody follow me because up until this point, can't you see the Sadducees and Pharisees and they're just, oh, the veil ripped and they're ripping their clothes and abomination. You know, it's like, give me a break. God did it. Hello. But anyway, the veil, the veil ripped from top to bottom. And before that, we did not have access to the Holy of Holies with God's presence. Okay. The Bible talks about a veil. And there seems to be, and a lot of Christians get this. I know this is deep, but there seems to be kind of a veil. And when you start talking about deep spiritual truth, it's like way over their head. They're like, I don't get it. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit has got to illuminate that to you. The veil in your heart is going to have to be ripped. I'll never forget the first time I've read the Bible a lot. I went to Bible school some and... um, then won't go there. But anyway, I read the Bible a lot and studied, and I remember the very first time the Holy Spirit gave me what I call divine revelation. It was I was in my room, and I was praying, and I was praying in the Spirit. I was praying in tongues. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I mean, very clearly, and I had no idea what he was talking about. But all he said was, and I know this is way off topic by making a point, he said, Jacob and Esau represents the flesh warring against the Spirit. And I was never... I never, I never saw that, you know, I was okay. But from that point on, it was like I started seeing the Bible through divine revelation and not just black and white pages. I started seeing the deeper. And in Corinthians it says, uh, in 1 Corinthians at the beginning of it, I believe, it talks about the Holy Spirit knowing the deep things of God. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians, I mean, just jot this down if you're taking notes. Chapter 2, you can read about it, but it says the wisdom from the Spirit. And it says uh, that basically, I'm paraphrasing, people don't know the deep things of God unless the Holy Spirit show them. It says, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And we've got to get past the milk of the Word and on the meat. And that, that is the difference. If everybody can catch what I'm saying, that's the difference. The milk is is just what you just simply just read at surface value. It's just black and white. It's there. You read it. That's the Logos word. That's the milk of the word. The meat of the word is when the Holy Spirit really shows you the depth of what it actually means. Okay. So I'm obviously preaching about the great falling away. But we're going to have to, in our lives, continue to grow spiritually. If you, at one time in your life, been closer to God than you are now, then a Raven Hill used to say you're backslidden, and it's true. And if you're not growing, if you're at a plateau, you have got to break out of that religious box, okay, and ask the Holy Spirit to come fill you and let Jesus just baptize you once again in fire, amen, and get on fire for God and start growing spiritually.
And let the Holy Spirit begin to teach you the Word of God where it's not just something you read. And it's like, okay, I've read that before, but I'm doing my duty and reading it again. Let the Holy Spirit, like, illuminate that to you where it's divine revelation. It's like, wow, I never saw that. You know, there's a lot of depth. There's more depth in this than you'll ever get in 20 lifetimes. You're going to spend all of eternity going, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I never saw that. You're going to spend all of eternity. Why do you think the angels are always going, holy, holy, holy? Is there, like see something about God, they're like, whoa, holy. But then they see something else, holy. I'm not just making that up. That's true. That's why they're always saying holy, because there's like some, they're seeing more of God, and they're like, wow, holy. Okay? Ephesians 4, 11, and I close with this. This is where we've got to be as a church. And I have nothing against denominations, but I'm going after God with or without a denomination. It don't matter to me. If, if a denomination I'm affiliated with isn't going after God, I'm going after God without them. All right. But here's the thing. We have got to get back to what the Bible says church is. It should be normal that the power of God come down in church. It should be very normal that people come in sick and leave healed. That should be normal. Okay, if it's not, there's something wrong. It should be normal. Somebody come in and, you know, demon-possessed and get free. I'll never forget, you know, when I was ministering with those young people and somebody manifests a demon, you know. It's, I don't know if I ever told you, but there was this girl one time that I was praying for, for young people. I was walking down the line, and I was praying for this girl, and I felt a lot of resistance, not from her, but I felt like a satanic resistance. So I was like, I break this, and she goes flying back in the air, lands on the ground, starts writhing around the ground, manifesting the demon. Well, it's funny because a lot of these young people that were there are the type that, you know, act all tough, you know, and the, yeah. And so that some of them had come out of gangs and drugs and stuff, and they're all like, nothing's going to scare me. You don't scare me. What's going to scare me, right? Well, all of a sudden, the demon, all of a sudden, the demon was manifesting. This is a true story. I'm not exaggerating. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, I realized, where's everybody at? And I look, and they're all behind me. You follow me? All of them were scared of the demon. And I was like, what are y'all doing, you know? And some of them were praying in tongues. I've never seen praying in tongues. Whatever back there, shunned down, you know. And so I'm like, all right. <laughs> they, were, they were scared. And so I'm, you know, cast the demon out. Amen. Look, that's Jesus' ministry, and it bothers me that churches are like, oh, that happened in church. It's like, look, where is it supposed to happen? In college or something? Or <laughs> Anyway. I don't understand. So, it should be normal. It should be normal that people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. It should be normal people get set on fire. Let me tell you, you know, and I'm not saying any of this today with pride. I'm saying out of concern for the church. This is where the church should be. Amen? Ephesians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 11 down. It says this, It was Jesus, He, who gave some to be apostles. So where are the apostles? Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. You know why a lot of den- denominational churches reject the fivefold ministry is because it's going to explode their denomination. Because they've got people in leadership that are not apostles and prophets, and they know it. What are they doing in that position, an apostolic position, if they're not an apostle? And they know that if the re- fivefold revelation comes to that church, it's going to make everybody just, it's totally going to blow up everything. All their politics are down the drain. Right? 
So apostles are prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and, and this is their, their work to prepare God's people for the works of service. You're supposed to be doing something for God. The fivefold ministry's office is to prepare you to do something for God so that the body of Christ will be built up until we all reach unity. How many knows we're far from that? And in the faith and that the, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, and we want all things grow up into him who is the head. That's Jesus. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay. The job of somebody like me, job description, okay? It's time for job description. Job description is, is for me to get you prepared to do what you're called to do. My job description. I'm not supposed to be winning all the souls, and this church knows that, okay? It's, it's, I'm not supposed to be doing everything. This church knows that. It's for me to prepare you so that you can do what you're called to do. And once everybody starts functioning in their gifting, the church is really going to become mature and powerful, okay? But most churches, what you see is they're like, well, we, you know, we hired the pastor. He's supposed to do everything. And they just sit there, and they never grow spiritually. They never do anything for God. <clears throat> That's the exact, exact opposite of what it's actually supposed to be. It's supposed to be that the, the leadership is equipping you. And that means through, number well, obviously the anointing through impartation. You need an anointing. Number two is that you'll learn the Bible. And number three, that you'll learn what it is you're called to do. It's like Joby, one of the things he's called to do is evangelism. So that's one of the things he's doing. Ashley will worship. It's not hard, but it's like you just figure out, okay, where, where am I called? Jill with intercession. Where am I called? What am I doing? And start functioning in that, and the body becomes mature and strong. Amen? And that's the type of church we need in these end times to not fall away. We need a healthy, strong church. We need to be a part of a healthy, strong church. Okay? All right. How many got something out of this? better sell everything out. There's something you're holding back. You better sell out everything to Jesus. Or one of these days, we're going to hear about you not serving the Lord. It's going to be sad. Okay? Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts, areas that we have not fully surrendered to the Lord, things that aren't right, that you'll do a deep work in us. Lord, I pray that you would draw people to a, a, people to a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you than they've ever had that you'll open up the scriptures to them and that they'll go from glory to glory and they'll also grow in divine revelation, have meat of the word, and be strong in the Lord. Lord, I pray help everyone to know what they're called to do. Because most people don't. You ask most people, what has Jesus called you to do? I don't know. Lord, that you would help people know what they're called to do. Let me speak this blessing over you guys. This is powerful. All right, I want to speak over you today that all that are part of this ministry, that you will walk in the fullness of the freedom and the dominion and the victory that Jesus paid for you to have on the cross. As the Bible says in Exodus 23:25, that those that serve the Lord your God, that he will bless your bread and your water and will remove sickness from your midst. There will be no one miscarrying or barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. 
I will send terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among who you come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. Therefore I speak over you, river of life, that you will have blessed food and drink to nourishment health your body, that your bodies will be in perfect health, and that you will have fruitfulness and a healthy long life. As the word of God declares in 1 Peter 2.24, that Jesus bore in his body our sins on the cross, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, and by his wounds you were healed at the cross. Therefore I speak over you that God's grace be upon you to live a holy, blameless life above reproach, avoiding even the appearance of evil, and that you will live in continual perpetual health all the days of your life. As the word of God says in Acts 2.21, And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved is the Greek word sozo. And so I speak over you that you will perpetually, continually be healed, delivered, preserved, made whole, protected, and do well. Because we call upon the name of the Lord our God, I speak over you continual and perpetual health and protection and prosperity and God's blessing on every area and detail of your life and ministry. As the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree, in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come on us as Gentiles, and will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I speak over you that the blessings given to Abraham, which are exaltation, promotion, health, long life, reproductiveness, prosperity, abundance, favor with God and favor with man, and complete victory over your enemies, that these blessings are yours. And because of the cross, I speak over you, they will, these blessings will run you down and overtake you. Amen? And that you will continually and perpetually have them on your lives, your households, and your ministries. I also speak over you that are givers and tithers, givers and tithers Malachi 3.10, that the devourer will be rebuked from your life. The floodgates of heaven will open over you. And I feel this. I mean, there will be so much blessing poured out in your life and ministry that you cannot contain it. And you will see perpetual fruitfulness, and nations will call you blessed. Deuteronomy 8.18, I speak over you that you have the power to gain wealth. Proverbs 8.18, that God gives you durable riches. Deuteronomy 28.13, and that you are the head and not the tail, the top and not the bottom. Deuteronomy 28.12, that the Lord will open his good storehouse for you the heavens and give you rain on your land and season and bless all the works of your hands that you will lend to many nations and borrow from none finally i speak over you that you will live lives of great faith that releases the power and the promises of god in your life that every area and every detail of your life and ministry be blessed and fruitful for the kingdom of god i bless you now in jesus name lord I ask you to seal this tonight surround everybody with the angels of the lord and take them home safely keep them safe throughout the week and bring them back safely Lord, we thank you for this night. And, Lord, I pray, let this word that's been imparted into people, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take it and churn it within us and help us to continually move to a place where we're growing spiritually in a radical way. We're going from glory to glory and strengthen. Lord, I pray, as the scriptures say, clothe and arm us in great strength in you, Jesus. Empower your people and help us, Lord, to have a fresh anointing and run with the power of God. Lord, we bless you, and I thank you. Lord, I pray that you put a hunger in people that is just so awesome that people just, they're so hungry for more of you all the days of their life. It never dies down. Lord, we thank you for it. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.